Hey, J. Crew, this is Mark. And last Monday night, I was privileged, along with Stephanie and Liel, to host a virtual live event for about a thousand people, sponsored by Ort America, the educational organization. And our guest for that live show was Mayim Bialik. You know her from Blossom, from The Big Bang Theory, from her work as a Jewish activist and author and now podcaster. And we were going to hold that interview for some date to be named later. But it was so good that we decided we had to rush it right to you. So here, from this past Monday night, is me, Liel, and Stephanie with Mayim Bialik in the Ort America virtual live show. I hope you enjoy All right. Shall we go? Three, two. This is unorthodox. Wait, the universe wait, Mark, we're, it's too soon. We're, we're people are just filing in. We gotta. Have you have you done a webinar before? We, we have to entertain them while they while they get into the thing. See, Mark, these are Jews. Let, let me tell you something about Jews. <laughs> Se, seven means seven fifteen. Wait, how will we know? Oh, I see. I see the number. The counter's going up. Oh, Mark, I, I admire your life that you have not been in Zooms like for the entirety of the last seven months. I, I want to do whatever it is Zoom. that you do. Like the plague, except for you guys. Hi, everyone. Do you know? Okay, so why doesn't everyone write in the chat and tell tell us like where you're coming to us from, so we just know, you know, how much of the globe we have conquered. And also, if you're related to me, say hi. I know my mom's coming, my mother-in-law's coming. Stephanie, not to be a killjoy, but I thought the chat was turned off to all of them. I thought that's what we just heard—that it's a panelist chat only, so that they actually can't do that. Oh, then type in the Q and A. But they are telling us where they're from, Boston. Irvine, California. Do you know the Altmans? Do you know Heidi Altman's? Barry and I forget Barry's wife's name. Oh, Toronto. I wonder if Michael Sass knows the Altmans. This is exciting. Bronx question mark? <laughs> that is yeah, the you're correct. From the Bronx. That is the actual <laughs> appropriate term for it. It's Bronx question mark. I was like, is there? I see Cleveland. I, I see I see a lot of Toronto people. I know now I now know how to say Toronto. Like you the live in, there, you say the, Toronto. <laughs> uh, Leah, remember a hundred years ago when we did a live show in Toronto and you yeah. left you like didn't you know how to pronounce card. Toronto, and I know that you actually need documentation to travel internationally. So we've each learned an important lesson from that. Joni Schaffer, there's nothing LOL about Brooklyn. Brooklyn is the real deal. We're going to get started in about two minutes. We're letting you all file in. I'm wondering if Abby Levine from Milkshakes, Wisconsin, is that an autocorrect or is that just what Milwaukeeans? Oh, no, that just... that's, the, that's, the, that's the state capital. <laughs> also, those of you from Chicago, we uh, did, I think our last big live show was in Chicago. It was about a year ago. We still haven't recovered from the deep dish pizza we have eaten. We've since not had a meal ever, ever since ever then. Had, didn't have to eat since. Yeah. That's nope. right. All right. Uh, should we go? I mean, we've gotten 835 participants. Is it, is it time yet? Stephanie, Liel? I believe it is officially halachic time to begin the. the it's sundown the somewhere, yeah, right? It is. Okay. Ready? We're doing a podcast. It's going to take us about an hour. Three, two. This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I'm your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by my fellow hosts, Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hello. Hello. And Tablet Editor at Large, Leah Leibowitz. A happy mundane Monday to you, the first day of the rest of the non-Jewish holiday year. The Christians, the, the Catholics have like sacred time and profane time. We're back in profane time. The holidays are over and we are thrilled to be here at this virtual live show. It is brought to you in partnership with Ort America. If you don't know what Ort America is, you're going to learn. It's going to blow your mind. Okay. And a little later in the show, we will be speaking with our special guest, actress, activist, and super Jew, Mayim Bialik. Mayim, that's a compliment coming from us. That's, you know, that's, that's, 
that's all good. Uh, but first, uh, we want to know how many of the people who are tuning in, maybe you could put in the Q&A, if you have um, never, ever, ever heard of a podcast or never heard of Unorthodox. Just, just let us know. Put in there. How much do we have to, to fill you in on what we're doing? And while you do that, we should explain to you just in the next 30 seconds what Unorthodox is. Um, it started about five years ago. It is the most listened to English language Jewish podcast. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, Leah, what else should we say about ourselves? It is definitely not that Netflix show that people told you were good. We actually yes. love love Jews. <laughs> no, right. sorry. So there was a lot of confusion after that show came out. People were joining our Facebook group. They thought we were a podcast about the show Unorthodox. We are not. If you're here tonight to see, you know, the stars of Unorthodox, you're not going to see like, them. You're going to see us. When comes to play but, when you go to Berlin and, and make love to non-Jews, like that's not coming tonight. <laughs> but so basically we've been around for five years. We just had our five-year anniversary. We have um, an amazing li- listener base. We call them the J crew, which is, you know, um, don't tell anyone. We can't sell any clothes that say that on that because we will apparently be sued. But it seems like we've got um, a lot of the J crew here. Um, and we record a, a weekly podcast. And back in the olden days, we used to do live shows around the country. We actually came out with a book called The Newest Jewish Encyclopedia, uh, From Abraham to Zabars and Everything in Between. And so we were on a book tour for that in the spring. And now we're sort of, we're, we're pivoting to virtual. Um, and this is one of our first live events. And we are so, so, so excited to be here. Super um, excited. And the typical format for the show is we talk a little bit amongst ourselves. We uh, we discuss the news of the Jews uh, from Aspen to uh, Tel Aviv, from Beverly Hills to Beit Shemesh, all over the world. Throughout the diaspora, we find interesting and funny stories about Jews. And then in a typical episode, we have a Jewish guest, the Jew of the week, and then we have a Gentile of the week. Uh, we, ha- we have a token Gentile who comes on every week. We're not doing that this week because we want to leave extra time for our super special uh, Jewish guest. But before we get to that, as is traditional, I want to check in with my co-host, find out what's up. Uh, We've been a little out of touch with each other over the holidays, a lot of vacation days. Stephanie Butnick, we're back in profane time. Simcha's Torah is past. What's going on with you? Yeah, I put my lulav away. I put my etrog away. Um, I actually, you know, I did did something interesting lately, which was that – um, so we had, we had this whole episode, I think two years ago, I can't even remember what time is, where we went um, with those Chabad guys who stand in Union Square and ask, you know, stand in every city and ask if you're Jewish. So we actually um, did a special episode all about that, where we like went in the mitzvah tank, saw what it was all about, and actually like learned what they're trying to do when they ask you that question and when they, you know, want to put tefillin on. So um, maybe it's just that I'm starved for human connection, but in the middle, midst of the pandemic, I was going to Whole Foods the other day and... <laughs> I see the guys. You on started the asking if people were Jewish, and like, oh my god, I'm <laughs> in Whole Foods. I'm the, answer, the answer is yes. If they were in Whole Foods, the answer is yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm across the street from Whole Foods. I'm making my way there, um, and I see the Chabad guys on the corner, and they're wearing their masks, and they say, "Excuse me, are you Jewish?" and I sort of forget the fact that the pandemic has happened, that I haven't really left my apartment, I haven't done any of the outdoor dining, haven't seen any of my friends, and I say. In my mind, I say, you know, we had this whole episode where I tell them how I feel when they ask me that. I think they're judging me. Am I the right kind of Jewish? And so I said, yes, I am. And they said, would you like to shake the lulav and etrog? And I said, of course. Bring it. <laughs> because of my own, like, personal journey with all of this. And so uh, he said, I, he sort of gives me the, the lulav. And I was like, I don't want to touch it. Like, 
I, I don't know. Like, your people have been touching this all day. And he's like, no, you have to. And I was like, okay. So I grab the lulav. Wow. And I do the prayer. And he, he gives me one word at a time. Like, baruch, baruch, atah. And I want to be like, okay, guy, you can speed this up. Like, I know I know more than that much, you know. <laughs> like, the second one he did was the shahiyanu. And I was like, okay, I know that one. Like, you know, so it got into my whole thing where I'm like, oh, you assume I know nothing. Um, but then I, I, I left. I sort of sprayed my hand sanitizer. And then I came home and I was like, that might not have been the best idea to like stand very close to a stranger and speak back and forth, call and response in the middle of a global pandemic. Where, um, so yeah, that was that's what's going on with but, me. I but the, that the lulav will protect you. The lulav actually, little known fact, uh, the lulav kills COVID. Science will discover this. I have to say, <laughs> I, I think saw there's some. There's a rabbi in Brooklyn teaching everyone that right now, Liel. It's amazing. In, in the line. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I saw this meme online apropos the lulav, and it struck me as completely right. Uh, in terms of things that make you feel all powerful, there's like status and there's money. And then there's knowing the exact correct order of which directions you have to shake that thing. Because like by day three, I'm like, I don't even need to look. I'm like front, right, back, left, up. I got it all down. It's like the cha-cha slide. It really is. I had a bit of a dilemma because It's like learning the I... Macarena. <laughs> Like, I'm so glad the Macarena made it to Israel. How old were we when that came out? We were in college, I think. Uh, oh, yes. And yes. There we you were at wherever you went, University of Israel or whatever, whatever passes <laughs> University for over of there. Israel. That's University right. of the Middle East, wherever you were learning, doing your, your BA in video game studies. And um, at Jew U. At Jew U. And the Macarena dropped. I mean, that, and yet you still moved here three years later. Like, nothing would dim your love for for the the the, the Golden Medina, right? I mean, it was like, I want Macarena, to go to the country that developed this culture. What is this magical land? I just, I, I see people in the QA saying, like, Stephanie, when did they let you out of the closet? You record this podcast in typically, so they very know the sh- they very much know the show. And then people who are like, I've never heard of you guys. When's Mayim coming on? Um, yeah. So just to break down the show a little bit, we check in with each other, do some banter, and then we do news of the Jews. So why don't you guys tell me about yourselves so everyone can sort of learn? Um, and then well, I don't know. Yeah, get some and, well, NOTJ going. And we'll get some NOTJ going. I I do want to say that I had a problem though with speaking of Lulav and Etrog. I just I, I wanted to get this out there because I think the J Crew will help. They'll write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com uh, and and help me out here. You know how with flags, there's a certain way when a flag is is has is, is all frayed, you're supposed to actually, I think it's bury it. Uh, or there's there's a way to sort of decommission an American flag. And there's a and and with any Jewish scripture that has the word of God on it, you're supposed to put it in a Geniza, right? You don't uh, you don't throw it out. Uh, what do you do with a lulav and an etrog when you're done with it? Because we were done with it, and I happened to be doing my yard cleanup yesterday as I took down my <laughs> sukkah. And I thought, do I just – now, Anna had brought home from, from her Jewish day school her own lulav and etrog, so she was very, very proud of it. I couldn't get rid of it in front of her. She would have kept it till the etrog was completely deteriorated and decomposed. What what did you – what do you do with – Leo, what do you – so what did you do with yours? Traditionally, uh, yeah. here, here's what you do. The Aravot takes care of itself, right? Because there's Chibute Aravot. You, do, you celebrate your great traditional uh, batting round of the Aravot and its its own little festival at the end of Sukkot. It's tremendous. Uh, they had the same, I'm sorry, no protocol. Lulav, some people uh, reserve until Passover, at which point it is incorporated in all sorts of ways into the Seder and then chucked. But the greatest, uh, of course, is the estrog. I'd like to share with you my, my minhag, my custom. What, which what I, do you do with that situation? Which I think fruit. is tremendous. So yeah. um, as as those of us who are, you know, shall we say, uh, practicing drunks, observant drunks, 
No, uh, it is very important when consuming a martini to sort of uh, have the rim kind of touched by some citrus. So you have some essence and some elements. And so the day after Sukkot, what you do is you take a vegetable peeler and you peel a little bit of the estrog and then you kind of like run that peel around the rim of your frozen martini glass and you enjoy the best post-Sukkot gin martini like God intended it to be. I will never Top not that. do that again. I, I will never not do that again. Next year, Shmini Atzeret, I will slice the Atrog in half. Lashana Babe Hendrix, very dry, straight up with one olive. Hendrix or Boodles. Um, okay, so a little news of the Jews. Uh, a little news of the Jews other than us. Big news coming down this week, the Nobel Prizes. Now, I think all of us probably have that elderly aunt who sends us the email once a year telling us, like, isn't it, shouldn't you be proud to be a Jew? Because look at how many of the Nobel laureates are Jews. And we all kind of shrug and we roll our eyes like, yes, Aunt Sylvia, yes, it's nice to be Jewish. That doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to marry a Jew. It doesn't mean we're going to keep kosher. But isn't it nice that this many Nobel Prize winners are Jews? And then the Nobel Prizes come around and all my cynicism, like, disappears. And I just, and I, I turn into Aunt Sylvia. I just want to find out how many of them are Jews. And this, this was actually hit very close to home this year for me because the Nobel prize winner in literature, the last American to win the Nobel prize in literature, of course, was one Robert Zimmerman known to us as Bob Dylan, a big Jew. And then here we are just a few years later and Louise Glick, the poet Louise Glick, um, who is a, a colleague of mine at the university where I teach, uh, and is a person of the Jewish persuasion, wins the Nobel Prize, for the, the richly deserved Nobel Prize for literature. So what do I do? I start thinking, oh my God, it's Nobel season. And I go online and I find out who else is winning Nobels this week and are they Jewish? And I see that one, one of the guys who won for medicine is Harvey Alter. And I think, sweet, you know, w- one of us. And um, I don't, do you guys have this? But before I get to the pièce de résistance in the Nobel week, are, are you with me I, here? I have, Does it- I have two things to, to say about this. Yeah. First of all, that the only people who are up at like one in the morning Googling like names of people to find out if they're Jewish are like Stormfront, like neo-Nazis and like Jewish podcasters. It's literally not <laughs> a third group that does that. The second thing um, is that, you know, uh, producer Josh Cross actually earlier on emailed me, uh, this is a little shared public document, the, the poem for which Louise Glick actually won the Nobel. Would, would you like to hear it? Uh, please, please, yes. Ed- it educate goes, us. It goes like this. Roses are red. Violets are bluish. I just won the Nobel because I'm Jewish. Jewish. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll be here all night. <laughs> be here all night. So I'm going deep. I'm thinking, okay, Harvey Alter, Jew. Uh, Louise Glick, Jew. Today, Paul Milgram wins the Nobel Prize for economics. Jew. Super Jew. Super Jew, right? Then I never notice one of the names I recognize is Roger Penrose, who is a British physicist. He win, He's one of three who shared the prize in physics. Now, Penrose has written a couple best-selling popular books about physics. And I'm thinking, okay, not a Jew, right? Definitely a wasp, Ro- Roger Penrose. And I go on Wikipedia just because why not? Might as well check and see. And I'm reading along. He's born in Essex, uh, Great Britain. He's the son of Margaret Leiths and the geneticist Lionel Penrose. His paternal grandparents were J. Doyle Penrose, an artist, and the Honorable Elizabeth Josephine Peckover. Peckover. I mean, no, is there any name more Anglo than Peckover? And I'm thinking, definitely not a Jew. And then yeah, I get to it's his their maternal- version of Passover. It's just that's right. Less less food and more drinking. <laughs> more drinking. They just peck at it. And his maternal grandparents were physiologist John Beresford Leiths and his wife. Sonia Marie Natanson. And my ears pick, my Judar goes up, Natanson. Sonia Marie, Marie, not so much, Natanson. And it says a Jewish Russian who had left St. Petersburg in the late 1880s. And I think, mic drop, boom. 
it turns out his mother's mother is Jewish. So even when they try to give it to, you know, a British physicist named Sir Roger Penrose, it turns out halakhically the man is a Jew. And I ha- and here I am in this one week a year when I turn into the the crazy old person circulating emails about how the Jews are better. And it's not a it's not a side of myself that I think is my my highest and best self, but there is something about Nobel Week that just just brings it out in me. I can't I can't lie. So there's something about Nobel Week that also brings out, I think, in my embiolic. She she wants to she has stuff to say we usually um we have a lot of people clamoring for her in the comments mayam why don't you just like we 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 can't even wait to have you on i'm obsessed with this conversation i'm (laughs) super obsessed with this conversation and like can we can we introduce you first but i'm so obsessed with this conversation but go ahead Okay, Ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so 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 just to address the people who actually did come here tonight thinking this was about the Netflix show Unorthodox, I'm really sorry. It is not. Same. We are the podcast. My mom is on for that reason. Ma, it's not about that. <laughs> but your aunt is on. Your aunt is on too. Everyone I know um, is on. Good. And a lot of people are like, where's my Um uh, oh. I like enough Someone, of you guys. So so let's 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 we're gonna change this up a little. I'm welcoming to the show our super special guest tonight <laughs> is Mayim Bialik. She played the iconic eponymous sitcom character Blossom. After that, she went on to college to study neuroscience. She ended up getting a PhD in neuroscience before returning to TV in the role of Amy Farrah Fowler, a neurobiologist herself on the hit CBS comedy The Big Bang Theory. Mayim, it is an honor and a privilege to have you with us tonight. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. And um, I, I, I famously don't listen to podcasts, but I was like, this is one I would listen to. And then when I heard you, t- I'm obsessed with this conversation because <laughs> I'm that lady. And every person, every like modern Jew I've ever met is like, why are you my grandmother? And I'm like, I'm not the only person. So to find other people who are not also 90 like me, upset like my ear forget it like the judar goes out of control (laughs) and i become like it's not even like my grandma i don't know who's grandmother anyway i had to be part of this conversation i love it do you know how some actors aspire to get an egot the emmy grammy oscar and tony you will get an egon an emmy grammy oscar and a nobel prize in neuroscience that'd be amazing true the first ever you're our best hope for that. Yeah. Actually. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, it's really nice to be here, though. I'm I'm really just enjoying the conversation, and I'm sorry that I inserted myself into it. It's no. one of my finer quality. Very Jewish of you. Welcome in. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome in. It's been hard for us as a podcast to adapt to Zoom because I don't think Zoom is made for the Jewish people who interact no. each other constantly. Like when we all sang Dianu at the Seder, and it was like seventeen. Di- like it was, it was not good. But I think no, we've come good. come far. But I do. I have one thing to add to this conversation, which is a, a video that Stanford University posted on Twitter this afternoon of. The Nobel Prize Committee could not reach Paul Milgram to share the news that he won. So his fellow winner and his neighbor, Robert Wilson, who also won, knocked on his door in the middle of the night. And the reason they posted this is because there is a video from the Nest camera of of Robert Wilson and his wife, like, ringing the doorbell. Of course, there's a big mezuzah on Paul Milgram's door, which is, like, why I first started watching this video. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Is that a mezuzah? And he's basically saying... Uh, Robert, like they, they're, they're trying to get in touch with you. Pick up your phone. <laughs> they I want to give you the Nobel Prize. It's like, who is this? And we, of course, at Unorthodox, having a Google Images alert on Mezuzot, it just came straight to us. Like, like we actually crawled Instead of, are you a robot, for... are you a Jew? Find all That's of right. the images that have That's a Mezuzot. exactly right. That's, That's amazing. all you need. 
All right. So let's let's take it back a few years. Like, Maya, um, you were acting professionally at a very young age. To be blunt, like how big a Jew were you back in the Blossom days? Were you, were you, was your family observant? Because you are sort of famously open about your observance now. Yeah, no, I, I took on observance in college, like uh, of the more formal variety. Um, but, you know, I was like, I mean, my, my parents are first generation Americans. So I was also like, like raised with Yiddish and like, oh, we had two sets of dishes, but my mother didn't say why because she had left orthodoxy. So I thought it was like the breakfast dishes and the dinner dishes. Um, my parents joined a, a reform synagogue, which was, you know, very big on like social justice and, you know, very progressive. But um, I didn't learn like I didn't learn, for example, to speak Hebrew. Uh, I, I, I had never done any sort of like formal Jewish learning. That all came later. But I was, you know, obviously very, um, very culturally Jewish. We did all the ho- like I was aware of the holidays and the markings of the year. Um, you know, I was bought mitzvah. I was confirmed. I, I, I was kind of a super Jew. Like I went to all those, you know, Jewish Federation programs, you know, all the way through high school. And um, I think I was already kind of making my way to Super Jew. I mean, they named you, they named you Maim Chaya. I mean, they, they weren't they, really they did, their but, bets. you know, no, no, no real, like, stark Israeli would name their child Maim. Like, it's not no. a name. It's a male plural noun. It's not Tal. It's not Maya. It's not Mayan. It's, like, literally <laughs> a male plural noun that means water. Um, the Chaya is for my great-grandmother, Chaya Liba. And Mayim was for my great my great grandmother on the other side, who was Mariam, and it was just like an easier way to say it. Literally, instead of Mariam, they called her Mayam. So I'm really curious when you took on more observance in college. Did your parents? I mean, I, parents go to one of two ways when their kids become more religious. Yeah, uh, no, they weren't so is, into it. One is they're super into it. Correct. Like they're doing all the work that they that they felt guilty no. about not doing. No, the I, other is like, how did my daughter go crazy? Well, it wasn't even that. Like, I think it was kind of similar to like when I became a vegetarian. It's like, what, the way I fed you wasn't good enough? What, you, you think you got this way because you know better than me? So I think it was like the same thing. Like, oh, now you think, you, oh, you think you're better. I, I was like, no, actually not. I just really like, I like the ritual. And it gives, how are you going to meet someone if you go to shul every Friday night? That's what my mother said. <laughs> <laughs> Right, because no one in Shul is obsessed with people meeting and marrying. Right. That literally never happened. Back in the nineties, no, I probably wasn't going to meet someone going to Shul, but that's not why I was going. Like I was, that wasn't like you know, my main goal in life wasn't like got to so meet what, someone. What was, what was the on ramp? Was it a class you took? Was it a rabbi you met? Was it? A it friend? was yeah. Um, well, I mean, it was when I went to to UC, I went to UCLA, and um, honestly, I was two years out of high school, so I I didn't know anybody, and the closest thing I had felt to feeling connected to other kids, teenagers was those Jewish Federation programs. So I heard about this place, Hillel, and I literally walked in and I was like, hi, can I volunteer here? And I started just answering the phones and assisting the rabbi. And it was Rabbi Chaim Seidlerfeller who recently retired. He was at, at UCLA yeah. Hillel for 40 years. Very well-known progressive liberal Zionist. Um, also raised Orthodox in Borough Park. And yeah, it was him that I was like, oh, modern Orthodox? What's that? Like, I had never met someone who was modern Orthodox. And, like, it was fascinating to me. And also his intellectual rigor and, like, his ability to, you know, handle things philosophically. I I, I was blown away. I mean, he's intoxicated with learning. Um, and re- he became my teacher. And, you know, he said, before you learn Yiddish, you have to learn Hebrew, because I really wanted to learn Yiddish formally. He said, learn Hebrew. And I was like, but I know the alphabet. And he's like, yeah, go learn Hebrew. And then, like, you know, two years of Hebrew later and a year of Yiddish later and a lot of Holocaust classes, I had a minor in Hebrew and Jewish studies 
And taking on observance gave me a lot of a lot of structure to my life. And I'm a very, uh, you know, I'm a very medecked person. I'm a very like, uh, you know, detail oriented person. So, you know, traditional Judaism works really well with OCD. Um, I don't say that lightly. It just does. Uh, you know, there's a lot of like numbers and things. You have to clean this. Like we have a whole holiday dedicated to cleaning. It's great. So here, here's a question that's sort of a catch-all question, both for your Jewish engagement and for your scientific engagement. Most of us, when, when we think about people who, who made it really big, really young, think the kind of, you know, Drew Barrymore after E.T. type of thing, like drugs and fame and everything kind of spinning out of control. And here you are taking again and again and again these paths that are like not only unexpected, but sort of like deeply studious and like completely out of left field. I take it that's something that you've stopped and thought about. What's what's driving you there? Um, um, I, I mean, I don't know that there's like one answer. It's like what drives anyone to do anything in particular. You know, I think that the story that you tell, uh, you know, if you tell the story like that, yeah, I'm a, you know, I'm a second generation American who was like, you know, raised in like a, you know, kind of crummy part of Hollywood, going to public school, sitting on a bus, you know, learning Belle DeVoe songs, like. You know, I had a, a relatively normal childhood. Drew Barrymore was acting since she was a toddler. You know, I didn't start acting till I was almost in middle school. And it is a very different way to grow up. So I like to say instead of the industry, like, twisting my brain in reality, my parents did that for me. And then I became <laughs> an actor. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think, like, you know, a, a lot of that's kind of just like it, it, it's who we are. And I, I fell in love with science. Also, a late bloomer in the science field. You know, usually kids, like, go on to do that or like really good for like I was a terrible science student and um it was a really amazing female tutor a woman tutor that I had uh, when I was 15 she was 19 um who really made me fall in love with science and and gave me the skill set to be able to um to pursue a degree in science but yeah kind of like when I do things I do them deep and hard and tense like right. I can't just like like learn a little Hebrew. It's like, I'm going to do a minor in Hebrew and Jewish studies. I'm going to start right. an acapella group and a women's Rosh Chodesh group. And I'm going to blow shofar <laughs> and learn how to be the cancer for services. <laughs> well, so speaking of services, you were part of the UCLA Hillel High Holiday Services this year, weren't you? Oh, I, I have been for tw over, over 20 years. So I was, you know, raised at UCLA Hillel and Rabbi Chaim did my wedding and he, you know, was at both of my son's namings and brises. Like he's been, he's done my family's funerals. Like, that's our community, and UCLA Hillel is is unique in that it's not just for college students. We open our services up to the community. So for over 20 years, that's been where I've davened and where I've led, and I've been the shofar blower there um, for all the time that I was there. And yeah, there was a series of years when I was one of the chazanits, uh, the, the chanters, and I'm part of a quartet, me and three girlfriends. We all um, sing, like we sing, we have the best time. We're all super Jews. And we do, like, awesome four-part harmony to, like, liturgical and some modern, you know, Israeli songs also for our services. So, I mean, there's this weird thing about Hollywood where I, you know, I've done a bit of reporting in Hollywood. I know it as a journalist. You go in and and it's, on the one hand, the most spiritual place in the world, but on the other hand, the least religious, right? Like, it's all these ex-Jews and ex-other things who are going into Scientology and, and they're becoming Moonies <laughs> and they're doing every kind of spirituality except the ones that their grandparents handed down to them as tradition. Sure. A Right. I mean, it's this it, everyone's kind of questing after something. And yet so many people end up in really kind of damaging or or destructive paths. I, I mean, I think also, you know, like I'm thinking of like, I mean, I don't know who, you, who you're thinking of, but like, you know, people like Beck. I was like, he's Jewish. Oh, that's fascinating. You know, like 
Um, there, there's plenty of people who have gone, you know, on other derechs, as it were. But to be quite honest, like the Judaism that many of us were taught, it it, it didn't hold a lot a lot of this kind of modern sensibility and and notion of spirituality. So for me, like I'm not a Kabbalah Center person, for example. I mean, God bless right. the Kabbalah Center and whatever they want to do. Um, May they I'm, live and be well. <laughs> let them live and be well. You know, but I'm more of like a I'm more like a kind of an old school meat and potatoes kind of serious Jew, where it's like. All of the like mystical, spiritual, awesome, trippy stuff, it's in there. Like you don't even need to go to the Kabbalah. Like it's in there and it's a fantastic narrative we have, whether you believe in God or don't. We have a really, really old set of stories that we tell, which can be interpreted a lot of really interesting ways. And for me, like those stories and living, you know, living according to the lessons I learned from that, like that makes me more the person that I want to be. So that's why it works for me. But absolutely, like, while I've heard of Jewish ayahuasca trips, like we have a lot of trippy stuff, you know, in our own tradition also. Yeah, for like sure. Like trying not to eat for 25 hours and treating <laughs> Do that, like no water. Greatest every, challenge. every Gentile says, is that really safe? And I was like, well, <laughs> we've lasted this long. So I think we got it. Like, thanks. Yeah, I'm not going to run a marathon on Yom Kippur. I'm going to sit in my house and like go to shul and pray and fall asleep. I'm sorry, by the way, Mime, that we're asking you the same questions that I assume E and uh, Entertainment Tonight and TMZ is. I know everyone talks about being chazanit and like the services. Everybody I know you're tired of talking you. about this, so apologies there. Um, I do want to go back to the Nobel Prize because this is very time. I mean, this is a good time. You're a, a, you want it on the show. Like, let's talk about the Big Bang Theory. This is real. Well, what's what's funny about my character on Big Bang Theory, um, she actually is not explicitly Jewish. And I remember my kids were little. My kids didn't watch Big Bang Theory, but, you know, they knew that I was on it. And I said to them that someone once asked me if Amy Farrah Fowler was Jewish. And my son said, well, she has to be because you play her. So like, <laughs> even my child was like, there's no one Jewier than my mother. That's right. But uh, Bill Prady um, has said that Amy Farrah Fowler was not Jewish. I don't know why he felt the need to say she wasn't. Um, but yeah, Big Bang Theory, we did have a Nobel Prize plot, as it were. Um, but yeah, our only Jewish character on that show was uh, Howard Wolowitz, as it were, played by Simon Helberg. And, right. and and basically every other character that totally read is... And, and any other... C- correct. But like, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, four-sevenths of the Big Bang cast was actually Jewish, which is fascinating. It is interesting. I have to say, you know, the, the lengths to which Hollywood will go to avoid lending ethnicity to their characters. <laughs> you know, my wife and I have been binge-watching 30 Rock, where, you know, the showrunners, Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, neither one is Jewish, but like the rest of the writing cast, like Jew, 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 Jew. And then there is not a single Jewish character on that show. I mean, it's it's really it's like everyone is these D, you know, they they're ethnic. There are characters that are kind of sort of ethnic. Obviously, there are a couple black characters Jew-ish. in the show, <laughs> right? But there's Jewish. But you know, and the the mother load of comedy they could have wrung from having some Jews, and there's just Jews. Well, we're we're no, only I mean, two we're only two percent of the population. What do you want? Why you got to make such a big deal <laughs> out of it? Look, <laughs> we should be happy right. with the Nobels that we get. <laughs> right. So I, I have a I have I have, I have so many questions about why do you have so much and, alcohol? Why not? Look at me. <laughs> Leal, are you wearing if your you red coat? like that, you need all that to go through life. Um, While she's examining your your, your personal space, what, are you, you wearing your red thing Kabbalah or? string? I see. Sure. That's, are, you, are you waiting to meet your basherts? Uh, <laughs> I am, I, well, that, that, He's hoping that already, for increased, that ship has hoping for increased fertility. Let me, Sorry, Leal, what was your question? Wait, Leal has to ask background. something. Ooh. Oh, go ahead. 
Oh, so I want to give you background on Liel because when we started this show five years ago, he was like loving bacon cheeseburgers, and now he prays three times a day and does and eats kosher, and it's very. <laughs> It's just been really impressive. It to sounds watch. like she wants you to meet your Bashar. This just became your. Uh... <laughs> uh, Hashem and I are, are in very good terms these days. I have two questions about about Big Bang. Uh, in 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 order of of ascendance. First of all, <laughs> uh, as an actual PhD in science, like, were there moments in which you're like, you know, shut up, Jim. I know, be- like, just no. listen to me now. I know, like, who are you to write these jokes? No, I'm so, the scientist. I'm so- the brain. No, you obviously don't know what it's like to be an actor. You never I want don't. to say to someone, I got it. Yeah, just to pipe down. No, we, I keep it very under the radar. I tried to disappear into my shell as much as possible. Um, not because there's anything wrong with any of the other actors, but like you don't want to pull rank on a show like that and be like, well, I've got a degree. Like it came up often enough <laughs> that I was like, okay, everybody gets it. It's so awkward. And honestly, many of our writers had um, either science backgrounds or science adjacent backgrounds. Also, you can Google things as a writer and just look <laughs> look stuff up. Uh, sometimes they would say like, oh, what should Amy be doing in her lab? But our, our writers, and we also had a physics consultant, David Salzberg from UCLA. Um, so between him and me, we, we were, you know, we covered the Amy stuff, but mostly our writers kind of had it. But Jim Parsons would say I was the only one on, on the cast who not only understood my lines, I understood everybody's lines. <laughs> <laughs> so so apropos... Understanding lines. I have a question. This this always bothered me because I'm obsessed with you know Chuck Lorre shows. I'm I'm obsessed with this show. I think it's great. And yet, so often you would hear people say like, "This is for many years like the number one show on TV," and you would hear these like critics being like, "Oh, you like you like this show? Well, you know, it's not the super sophisticated, smart, cool sure. thing on Hulu that three people watch. Yeah. It's a show for." the masses like how do you explain this like intolerable insufferable snobbism about the show that's like so great well so i mean here's the thing like you know being the most popular anything doesn't mean you're actually the best it means you're the most popular so i think that was kind of always the the critics perspective and i think there's something to a little bit of that like when everybody likes something you want to be like well it's not that great like i'm you know i'm like i like modern family i don't like big bang theory it's like all right, Chris, like, Christianity, eh, and right. so it's popular. Jesus, okay, right. okay like, good, but Hoshana Rabba is better. <laughs> no, but I think I think there is some of that. I think there's a little bit of like, um, okay, already everybody loves it, but the fact is, like Chuck Lorre and Bill Prady created a show that, for whatever reason, really resonated with people, and we had really, really lovely writers who really knew, you know, how to put a lot of things together, but. But yeah, the fact is, it's not everybody's cup of tea. And people also love to come up to me and say that. I don't watch your show. My grandmother <laughs> likes it. My grandmother loves you. Like, thanks. Right. I mean, what do you say? I literally hear that more than I hear most things. It's like, right. I don't watch it. Everybody likes it. I've never seen it. Right. Oh, my mom likes so I, it. I, it's like, thanks. I always I always loved your show. The show that I felt that way about was Everybody Loves Raymond, which literally my grandfather and all his siblings watched. And, and nobody in my generation, though it's probably hilarious. Um, I actually have to play the heavy for a second. I want to take a three-minute break from, from Mayim and, and because I want to talk to Barbara Birch from ORT about what ORT is. And then I want to come back to Mayim. We have some great questions in the Q&A, um, including somebody wants to ask you about Coley Shaw because you, you confessed to singing in a quartet. So you've I been, did. You've been, you've been Jew-called out. You've been, uh, you've been they're outed. Gonna, they're gonna be, you've been, you're, they're going to juice-blame to you in a minute. But first, can we pull up Barbara's video? And uh, I would love for the uh, 
redoubtable Barbara Birch of Ort to explain to us what, you know, Maza Ort, what is this Ort? So, so Barbara, let me introduce you um, for the people who do not know who you are. You are, you're Barbara Birch. You're the president of, you're the president and chief executive officer of Ort America. And you, you started in that role on December 12th, 2019. That's uh, my birthday. <laughs> no. Wow. That, that's a great present. Hashem works in mysterious ways. Mysterious. It's the red string. We need to know what all those numbers mean right now. So before this, you were the <laughs> vice president of development at the Shalom Hartman Institute of North America and as and also at Yeshiva University. So Barbara, welcome. Thank you and thank Ort America for having us. Tell us, tell us, what is Ort? Thank you so much for having me. And and actually, Mayim. I can't believe your birthday is the day that I started at ORT. And you embody all the ORT values, your science background, commitment to education, Jewish values. That's it. I mean, that's ORT, ORT in a nutshell. Um, and I also want to just clarify, since everybody always asks what ORT actually stands for, O-R-T, it stands for some long Russian words that um, it's an acronym for Russian words from 1880 Russia when ORT was established and I can't say them. So we're just gonna move past that because I could never pronounce it. Um, but what might be more useful for you and our audience to know is that ORT is a global educational organization driven by Jewish values that provides advanced science and technology education to thousands of students in 30 countries. So ORT gives students access to education that teaches them how to use technology to do good in the world. So if people want to learn more about it, what's the website? ORTamerica.org. Check it out. Email us. Um, we're happy to talk about ORT all the time. Awesome. So as you can see by my, my surly demeanor, uh, I, I grew up in Israel, uh, where ORT were the schools where the smart people go, people like mine who understood things like science, which really was not my school at all. But once a week, uh, they had like a citywide program where they would bus us dumb kids to the ORT school so we could learn some actual like real science. And those are the most terrifying and wonderful days of the week because <laughs> we would come there and there were kids like, well, if you looked at the, at the CAD software, actually your calculations were incorrect. I was like, um... And anyone, anyone, anyone here like to drink and like listen to music? <laughs> I have nothing so, to contribute. Leal, basically, you're saying that Ort is responsible for the Jewish Nobel superiority. They're the ones who are racking up our numbers. Basically, it's all Ort America. Amen, Silla. Or Ort Israel. Barbara, thank you so much for for ha making this all happen, thank for pulling us together. So much. This has been great, and we hope to come back and and do it again. And Mayim's on board because you know we're going to be the first podcast that she listens to. Thank you. So that's the first half of our live show with Ort America and Mayim Bialik. We'll be back in just a moment with the second half. But first, we wanted to get to this week's mailbox. Tell me, tell me in the day or the night, would it kill you to call or write? To the mailbox, our listener Stephen writes, We buried my grandmother today, and my cousin, without any warning, tossed her son's foreskin <laughs> into the grave. <laughs> Everyone was stunned. Is there any halachic basis to this? I'm not sure how to undo this idea in my head now. Yours, Stephen. Uh, I am stumped. Stephanie, Liel, ever heard of 
a baby's foreskin being tossed into Bubby's grave. I, I, I think Quentin Tarantino just got the best first scene for his new movie. And then the music goes, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> oh my God. I have never heard of this, but people do all sorts of things. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like the foreskin stuff goes in with like the placenta smoothies. Like everyone just like does their own thing with it, you know? As somebody whose parents had planned to cook the placenta but never got around to it, you step off. That now that's normal. I'm, I'm not, but I'm this saying that people have people have what they they do what they want to do with these things and it's deeply private. This is clearly one for the J crew. Friends. And this cousin Janice is why you never get invited to Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh or call Passover. Us. 914-570-4869 or write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Has any of you ever heard of a foreskin being tossed in to Bubby's grave or or Zadie's? Uh, sorry, Fredman Ader, you're down with the modern orthodox side of things. Ever heard of this? Um, No. Josh Cross, you're a New Jersey rep. Ever heard of this? In a grave? No. No. Foreskin's lament. Alas. <laughs> um, I will say, unrelated to this, but related to this, I did see Mark your Mohelet, Dr. Emily Blake. Yes. Um, she performed yes. a Zoom Briss for my friends Mark and Amanda. And by the way, I want to say Zoom Briss should be the way of the future. You can do it in your home. You don't have 50 people in your home. Like you actually can, you know. But then you have to provide your own bagels and locks. I mean, wh where goes the free meal? So in a Zoom Briss, is the chat function on and people are are people like critiquing? Is there is there running color commentary no, no, no. on how the Moyle's doing? No, because well, hold on, hold on. It depends. On on an Orthodox Zoom Briss, uh, it's off. Uh it's a if it's a reform Zoom Briss, then yeah, maybe the comments. No, no one's on. really in the chat because you're watching like you're watching it. You know what I mean? You're sort of like how you're you're there to view it. But I th I found as a as an attendee, it felt it was nice. You got to see the whole thing. They switched to a few people to do readings. Just the idea of like having to host a bris has always seemed so crazy to me that like eight days after you give birth to a child, you're supposed to like entertain everyone you've ever met. Stephanie, I ask this in all seriousness. Were there different because I just watched a Zoom bar mitzvah where there were a bunch of different camera angles and whoever was talking, it switched as Zoom does to that camera angle. Are Is there a close up? Are there different camera angles or is there just one? Oh, on the of, baby? Yeah. Oh, I think I couldn't see it because I think physically, like there was someone in standing there. Um, you have to or pay the extra was for that. Sitting there, it was great though because it wasn't like you didn't have this sense of like, oh, am I going to see it? Like it, it, it removed the sort of luridness of it, and it made it just like something nice. There's an obvious solution, right? The Sondek has to have like brisk cam on his forehead. He just says, mm -hmm. "Have a GoPro." Right. And problem solved. Right. Then you can see the but whole thing. I would say that the problem has been solved by not <laughs> seeing it on Zoom. <laughs> uh, J. Crew, last week I talked about an autocorrect that my phone uh, inflicted on me where I was writing to someone and I mentioned Takun Alam and the text message came out Takun Clam, as in the shellfish. So we put it to the J Crew. What are the best Jewy autocorrects that you've uh, suffered since the smartphone uh, era began? Our friend Danya Schultz wrote in that sometimes her name Danya gets corrected to Santa, which seems uh, a little unfair for someone who's a Jewish communal professional. And then we got lots of voicemails with some even funnier ones than that. Uh, let's have a listen. Hi, this is Carolyn Mewson-Berkowitz from Chicago. My favorite recent Jewish autocorrect came when I texted a friend that my husband was picking up our lilac and error. Oops, Lula Vanetrog. Hi, I'm Orthodox. This is Allison Robinson from New Jersey. My favorite autocorrected email was sent to me from a congregant replying to an event to quote across America. The message subject came through as suck 
not across America. My favorite Jewish autocorrect is that whenever I would type Jewishness, it would say instead juiciness. <laughs> well, for us, I think the most interesting thing was that um, when we wrote the, the words lulav and etrog into our phones, each one of us got a completely different autocorrect that actually kind of sort of captured our personalities. Uh, Liel, what did you get when you tried? I got lilac and strong. Ooh. It's like, And I'll my favorite that. was that Sarah Fredman Ader got lilac and staff. You know what I'm thinking about. <laughs> I was shaking it off. Um, I think it's great. I love this idea. I get Lulu for Lulav. <laughs> I don't get lilac. I get Lulu. And Etrog, it just leaves as Etrog. It has no ideas for that whatsoever. Right. Uh, anyway, Audrey Klein wrote in and said that when trying to spell Nunavut to the Canadian territory, she gets the autocorrect Nineveh. Uh, she said, <laughs> maybe Jonah fled to Tarshish because he was pissed that God told him to go to the Arctic Circle. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Bobby Qual on the autocorrect. Here's a good one. As I was tweeting and Facebooking about the show and I kept writing Hoshana Rabbah, my device kept saying Hoshana Ragbag. Hoshana Rabbah, uh, Jewish holiday Hoshana Rabbah becomes Hoshana Ragbag. <laughs> Which is weird because she's written the book about Hoshana Rabbah and like Hoshana Rabbah. Um, I, I prefer the Hoshana Grab Bag, which is basically like a secret Santa, but it comes around <laughs> the end of Sukkot. Um, it's very fun. Well, I say if I, if I ever go on the RuPaul Drag Race show, I think Hoshana Ragbag would be a perfect drag queen name for me. <laughs> First was actually Hosanna rag bag, which is, I told her, definitely just what Jesus carried all of his stuff around. Right. The, the Hosanna <laughs> rag bag. It's like Johnny Appleseed with the stuff on his shoulder. By Lululemon, which is literally Lulav and Etrog in, in its Goyesha version. <laughs> Guys, this is some serious Jewiness. I mean, juiciness. I feel like this has legs. Uh, listeners, if you haven't had a chance to weigh in yet, again, call us 914-570-4869. Either give us the origin of the foreskin in the grave tradition that apparently is followed by one family in the world, or tell us about your favorite Jewish autocorrect. 914-570-4869, or write to us on orthodoxatablemag.com. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Hey, J. Crew! it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brous and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. 
You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Char Bar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. And now, more from our Ort America virtual live event with Miami Bialik. So, back to Miami Bialik. Uh, in the in the listener chat, in the Q and A, um, lots of interesting stuff going on. Um, somebody says, "I love your quartet; they're amazing." Uh, Sarah Woodrow wants to know uh, if you're modern Orthodox. What about Koli Shah? What about Voice of the Woman that says that you shouldn't be singing publicly? Like, where's your observance on that? How do you how do you respond to that? Um, well, I think one of the things about labels is that they are helpful, um, but they're not always. Um, really the whole story of who a human being is. So um, I actually do not wave the flag of orthodoxy. Um, while I do tend to um, resonate most with left-wing progressive modern orthodoxy in terms of the way I pray and the way that I understand the structure of halacha, um, there, there's not one box that, that any of us have to fit in. Um, so I guess this post-denominational Judaism actually is a thing. And when people used to say that, I was like, Ugh those people. And now I like now I really get it. I get that a lot of times we want to pray with who we want to pray with even if it's not the way we might want to pray. Um and that sometimes I'll go to a reform synagogue with people who are reform and even if it's not my particular cup of tea, like I'm still the same Jew that I was when I walked in and when I leave. So for me I've gone in and out of my particular relationship with Kolisha. Um and I I I'm the first woman in my family to chant from Torah, like ever. So um, I've always been a, a Torah laner. And when I became more observant, I went in and out of deciding, is that something I still want to um, do? And ultimately, it is a tremendously huge part of my Judaism. And there are other, you know, there are feminist Orthodox alliances and, and women who believe in finding ways to do it in ways that, you know, fit whatever halacha or whatever hashkafa goes with the, the synagogue you're at. Um, for me, you know, singing at UCLA Hillel, that is a, a non-denominational, as it were, Jewish organization that is, uh, you know, that, that as its mission tries to reach the most Jews possible. Um, I do prefer singing in a quartet rather than by myself. But for me, I don't mean to say that I get to define halacha and that laning and reading from the Torah isn't kolisha. But to me, my Judaism is exactly the same. Um, God is the same. My, my connection to the universe is the same. And again, that's why I don't like to be, you know, put in a box like that because it's not comfortable in that box. And when I go to an Orthodox shul or when I recited Kaddish for my father of blessed memory, and when I went to Orthodox shuls, I behaved in a way that was appropriate for those synagogues. I didn't go into an Orthodox synagogue and say, I think you should let me be counted in a minion. 
Um, while I might believe that's true, that's not what it is at that moment. And that's not always what we need to, to conquer in any given time. So the reason that I specifically don't wave the flag, the flag of, of orthodoxy is because, yeah, I, I don't fit into any one label. And I also don't know that God requires that I do. So speaking of, of different moments, I mean, you have a life of an actress, a public person, then you have a really, really rich Jewish life. And so what happens when you're like at UCLA Hillel for the high holidays or like someone comes up to you and is sort of like, oh, my God, I love the Big Bang Theory. And you're like, it's Kol Nidre. Like, what, what, yeah. how do you sort of navigate being visible in all of these spaces? It's it's hard, you know, and for me, like my Jewish identity is, you know, it, it is one of the most it, it's one of the most important parts of me. You know, it's one of the parts of me that that is indescribable, you know, and it's one of the parts of me that even before I took on observance, like felt like home, like I have a people and we have a very particular way about us and that's my people. So it is hard. It's hard to be saying Kaddish for my father and having people recognize me. It's very hard. Um, and, you know, that's really up to the, the individual, you know, the variability of, of human beings. Some people don't understand boundaries. I've been asked to take pictures with people at funerals, graveside. Wow. <laughs> and like, and oh it's God. funny what I said to that person, it was, Whoa. It was, it was, uh, it was someone I didn't know. I mean, I knew the person who had passed away. It was part of my, my ex-husband's family. And, but I didn't know this person who asked. And I, I this was like, I almost laughed. I said, you know, I didn't know there was a line, but I think you just crossed it. I'm not going to be able to take a picture with you right here. And, um, so, you know, I, I try and do it with humor, but obviously like it's, it's weird. And this is like, not like, oh, poor Maya Bialik. Like it's so hard being famous. But yes, when I want to weep during Yisker, it's right. different knowing that people are observing me. And they sometimes are. Um, and, you know, to me, it's also like, it's the Mogan's of it that I bear. You know, like, it's it's right. also, it's okay. But it, it's a consideration for me. Um, and especially with my Jewish identity, like, that's why, for example, like, singing with my quartet, with these three women that I've, you know, become friends with, like, those are people who get me exactly where I am. You know, I'm not the best singer in the quartet, but I have so much heart and I want to be part of this Jewish community. And like, th that's where I feel honestly most authentically myself is when I'm in those particularly Jewish, you know, kind of circumstances where I get to kind of like shine with what's been taught to me, you know, so that I can share it with others. Um, you know, those are the most special moments for me, for sure. I wanted to ask the question, Mayim, you've, uh, you've written about parenting and, uh, you know, a number of us here of the hundreds of us in this community right now have probably been through the thing of trying to raise children who are proudly Jewish, trying to give them Judaism without smothering them with it, trying to figure out like what the right level is. Do you have, um, what Mark your, is asking is how often do you beat them a day <laughs> with the, with, with the Aravot as one does? If they want to watch TV on some Gadalia, do you let them? No, I don't know. Like, what? what's your, in a nutshell, you know, what's worked for you as, as a Jewish mom? I don't know. I mean, like, just in general, like, we could do an entire... Um, yeah, well, you wrote a book. I mean... Well, I wrote a book when they were, like, three and six, you know? Like, I'm only an expert. You know, I like to say I'm only an expert on, on two children, and that's mine. I'm not even that much of an expert, and I've never done tomorrow with them. Like, I'm an <laughs> so expert. how old are they now? I'm how old are they? Uh, 15, two days ago and 12. Okay. So my eldest is 13. I haven't gotten to 15 yet. So talk to me about the, the, the teenage years. Well, I think like in general, what I was going to say is like, um, you know, there's, it, it, there's, there's not one formula, but I think like, um, 
I try and speak to my children authentically and I try and present myself authentically. And, you know, I'll give an example. I had my first day of work today. I went back to work. It's my first time, you know, like actively working during quarantine. And this is just who I am. Like, I was terrified. I was like, I was terrified. Like, I broke out in a rash. You know, like, I was anxious. I just wanted to, like, constantly eat because that feels good. And, like, I felt, like, shaky. Like, I was, like, crying. I was nervous. And, like, instead of acting like I was fine and yelling at them for, like, having too good of a time before bed, I was just like, you guys... I have my first day at work tomorrow and it feels like my first day of school. And my 12-year-old was like, that's weird. You're a grown-up. And I was like, I know, right? So like I try and present my authentic self so that what I'm presenting matches what they pick up on. Because that's what I've learned is that they pick up on things even when you think you're hiding it. So don't try and hide it. But I was laughing about the Lula. That's the other part of the conversation. I was like, Josh, I want in. Like, we have a way of, like, shaking the lulav that is so absurd. And my ex-husband, God bless him, we have a very good relationship, and we do, we do holidays together. He's, like, read one thing that you shake, like, a half time, and then two more when you do it. Like, like, what? So he keeps doing this, like, half thing. And anyway, I was laughing really hard because no one knows. Like, up, down, all around. Anyway, I was laughing really hard. And my grandmother used to candy esrig peels. We call it Esrig where I come from. She used to candy the peels. I tried to do that. It tasted like ass. And then I realized there's a reason she was all Hungarian and I'm only a quarter Hungarian. That was the answer to that question. So, so Mayim, you talk about being your authentic self. I want to know about the Bialik Breakdown. Um, yes. This new uh, venture. I signed up for updates on your Instagram. Thank I'm like, you. I, need to, I need the inside scoop. I, I mean, you could say I was inspired by you. I'm starting a podcast. <laughs> During the quarantine, I realized like anyone who had issues, they got worse. And all the people who thought they didn't have issues, now they know that they have them too. <laughs> so um, with my degree in neuroscience and with the help of some experts and some friends, um, I'm going to do a podcast on mental health, but not just like, here's what you've got and here are the pills to take, like an actual progressive and more holistic approach to like the things that we do and think actually affect our body. And how does that impact our mental health? Um, and I'll be speaking to people who have all sorts of different either diagnoses or challenges. I'm one of them because Eastern European Jews, we've got all of them. Um, and so, yes, it's BialikBreakdown.com because I wanted to be able to say, I'm Ryan Bialik and welcome to my breakdown. And you can sign up for updates. We're going to start recording in a couple weeks and we'll be launching in a, hopefully a couple months. Um, but you can be the first to find out at Bialik Breakdown. So thank you so much for, for letting me talk about that. Absolutely. We will be there uh, listening. And uh, and I know a lot of our listeners will be, will be signing up as well. Um, so we are... Uh, have five minutes left and we always want to get to Mazel Tovs and we have a few of our own. I want to encourage uh, listeners, if you in the Q&A put in a couple Mazel Tovs uh, or why don't you put in one each and we'll get to a couple of them. We would love to give some listener Mazel Tovs and we might give more in the episode than we're able to give uh, on air right now, but it'd be great to have your Mazel Tovs. Can I ask a Chris, uh, quick question? Yeah. Why do you why do you pronounce it like that? <laughs> Mazel Tov? Instead of Mazel Tov? I want to hear how Stephanie says it and how else has it. So here's, I say it like this. A Mazel Tov, like okay. a real Americanized. I see. Uh, uh, I'm gonna go with Mazel Tov. Oh, okay. What, yeah. Was I, what, I've never not, been. I'm not I've, judging. I just have more of like a no, how Mazel do I, Tov. Uh, how do you say it? Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. Isn't that what mazel I said? Tov. I don't know. It sounds. Your it? I don't know. Never mind. Maybe it's, I'm the only one who thinks it sounds different. 
No, I mean, it's it's Western Massachusetts, baby. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I can do it. Okay, it's sorry. A very I'll be specific, quiet. It's a very specific regional accent. It's the shtetl of Springfield, Massachusetts. From Western Massachusetts to Western Herzliya. Mazal tov. <laughs> I don't know, but I'll never say it without self-consciousness again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maya Bialik called out my no. I'm honored to be called out well, of my. Well, now you have a mental health podcast to go on to talk about your. <laughs> we can talk all about it. I was so healthy till that time on my podcast when the famous TV star. So Maya, you're going to have a Mazel Tov for us in a minute. I hope if you so choose, Stephanie. Do you have a Mazel? And I, and we'll get in some listener ones. But Stephanie, do you have one? So I do. I I, I want to turn my Mazel Tov over to Ort America, which is an amazing organization. I know we talked about it a little bit. People in the in the chat are actually writing a lot in the Q and A are writing a lot of the like their experiences with this organization. And I think now more than ever, it's just so important. And I'm really really glad that we could be here with them. Ortamerica.org. Um, I'm inspired. Mazel Tov to Ort for being you, Liel. Do you have a Mazel Tov? I am also going to turn it on uh, to to the panel because you know usually my Mazel Tov. Look at me now. Usually my mazel tov will never my mazel tov. I broke to, everyone's mazel tov. Right, you broke, broke our minds. Usually my mazel tovs are, are to Adam Sandler. That's like every other week. It's like Adam Sandler, you're a great Jew. Mazel tov. This time, however, uh, I want to turn it over to a person on the Q and A whose name I am going to botch horrendously. I think it's Milen. Vasconcelos, uh, who says from today's Brazil. My birthday, my present is this live event with Maya Bialik. So, Maya, would you like to wish a happy birthday to, or yes. a Mazel Tov, if you will, to Milan? Ha- happy birthday and Mazel Tov for having a birthday. <laughs> um, can can I do a Mazel Tov? Yes, yes. So, I I hope this is not a a terrible thing to say. <laughs> I guess everyone can't wait for what I'm about to say. My son and I just, I just introduced my son to literally one of my most favorite Mazel Tov Jews. I think Sasha Baron Cohen deserves a Mazel Tov, like, for existing, because I cannot get enough of Borat, just because that's the kind of person I am. But who is America? I've been watching with my 15-year-old, and a lot of people are going to be like, she's a terrible mom. You shouldn't watch that with your teenager. A million percent, there's things, but there's some real profundity there about what is revealed about this country, who we are, and how far we will go. And to me, it is such a Jewish ethic. It's such a, I just, I love it. I love that he speaks Hebrew as Borat. Like, I love all of his weirdness about Jews, and I just think it's awesome. And that's, that's To it. which we say, nice, I like very much. I like it very much. <laughs> well, Sasha Baron Cohen Amen. is a person, has become such a really, really interesting, outspoken Jewish person, yes. right? Like, who is talking about anti-Semitism, who is talking about Facebook. Like, Correct. And when you see that, and you realize that someone you appreciate, whose work you appreciate, is actually, like, a, the kind of person that you you want them to, I mean, it's just really, it's great. And he talked, I mean, I said to my son, like, supposedly, like, he doesn't work on Shabbos and, like, food is kosher on his, and I mean, it blew my son's mind, you know, like, it did, and, like, I became that bubby who's like, did you know that the person who won the Nobel Prize for poetry is the Yiddish soul? I was like, he's a Cohen, I said it, he's a Cohen. I think Sasha Baron Cohen, you and Adam Sandler should have their own, like, WhatsApp group in which you just, like, talk about Obsessed. That's what I want. That's what I want I for wanna, my birthday, Barbara Bird. Nothing. The Jews nothing of a, Hollywood. <laughs> it's amazing. They're letting Jews into Hollywood now. Next thing you know, they're going to be putting them on TV shows. And, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Or, or what, in banking. 
the 21st century. Um, I just want to give a, a, a flavor for the profundity of our listeners. Ali Gostanian wants to give a mazel tov to her husband, Miles, who just started a new job today after being unemployed for seven months because mazel of COVID-19. Mazel tov, Miles. Elena Cohen to her daughter, Adina, who was... Oh, who was Rebecca Oppenheimer's counselor at Camp Ramah? She started her first day of work. To- <laughs> My daughter, Rebecca's camp counselor, Adina, started her first day <laughs> of work. I was reading Mazel through tov. this. Mazel tov. Two more. Uh, Nancy Zimmerman gives Mazel tov to her friend and colleague, Deborah Bobrow, on the opening of the virtual edition of the Cleveland Jewish Film Festival this Thursday. Absolutely. Deborah's amazing. And then- what about Ben Pagliaro? Because back in what August, a- he got married and he got so many Mazel tovs, but the only one that would really count is from us or you. So ben Pagliaro. Ben and Bailey got married August 2nd, Mazel Tov. Ben and Bailey. Mazel Tov in the Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. What about Aaron Ben Moshe's brother, Adam, who achieved the highest score on his accounting midterm at Michigan State University? That Now that deserves a Mazel Tov. Now that is a Jewish Mazel Tov. That is the Jewish Mazel Tov. Is it because we're not saying Mazel Tov? We're saying Mazel Tov? I think I'm hearing like a ta. It's almost like a taf. It's like softer than a V. I don't know. I think it's, I don't, I don't know. All I know is I'll never, all I know is Blossom broke my mazel tov. I mean, I'll go to my grave as the guy who like couldn't say it that anymore. That should be trending. In fact, it's the title should... of your next book, Blossom Broke My Mazel Tov. Broke my mazel Amy Farr Fowler destroyed my, my laning vibe. You know, I think we promised we'd get everyone off to binge watch some TV by eight o'clock Eastern time. So I have to say goodbye. Before I do my patented fast-talking Jewish outro, I want to say thank you to Ort, and I want to say thank you to Mayim Bialik for being our Jew of the Week. This was absolutely amazing. Uh, we hope you'll come back. So we much you fun. Thank you. On your podcast. Um, and t- say one more time, if you want to find your podcast. Oh, yeah. My podcast is called Mayim Bialik's Breakdown. You can go to BialikBreakdown.com to sign up. And um, yeah, that's it. BialikBreakdown.com. And amazingly, that URL wasn't taken. I mean, you got to it first. Go and, figure. Um, if people have comments, they should write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or call and leave a message on our listener line, 914-570-4869. And subscribe. We love having subscribers. Join the tens of thousands of other Jews and a not insubstantial number of Gentiles who, for whatever reason, listen to us. Uh, and now I'm going to give you an outro. So hang tight for 15 more seconds and then go eat some brisket and watch some TV. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Send your thoughts to unorthodox at tabletmag.com or call us, 914-570-4869. Our show is produced by Josh Cross and Sarah Fredman Ader. Our associate producer is Robert Scaramuccia. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger and our theme music is by Golem, online at golemrocks.com. Our mailbox theme is by Los Angeles' own Steve Barton and our rabbinic supervision this week by Reb Mayim Bialik. We come to you from the greater diaspora of Zoom and Google Hangout and Skype. Shalom, friends. I'm obsessed with this conversation.